Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Busy pod as we get you ready for a great Christmas weekend coming up, of course. I hope you all have your shopping done because if you don't, that's going to be an absolute nightmare the next couple of days. So busy pod, we previewed the Pats and the Broncos with Cody Rourke, who covers the Broncos for Mile High Sports. You'll hear that in just a little bit. We also got into the Manning-Brady rivalry from, of course, when Manning went to the Broncos, which was a ton of fun. So you hear that. We also did a metric man breakdown. I hadn't done one in a while, so I figured, all right, let's do one Celtics related. I think you'll enjoy that, especially the Jalen Brown portion of the metric man breakdown. Very positive Jalen stuff as how could you not be after the past couple of games that Jalen has played. Also, as always, Jamie and I will give you our picks this week, thanks to our friends at FanDuel. And I also made a Christmas wish list. Jamie gave us a couple of his wish list items as well, sports related. And speaking of that list, one of the things I had on there, and you'll hear it in just a little bit here, was Red Sox related. Now, I did outline, and you'll hear it in totality, I knew the Red Sox were not getting Yamamoto, so I have another thing on my wish list in terms of the Red Sox and just sort of the direction of the organization. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But just thinking about this now as I'm recording this late 1130 
on Thursday night, Yamamoto just signed with the Dodgers or just agreed to a deal. He's going to the Dodgers for 12 years, $325 million. And the thing that upsets you as a Red Sox fan, like the thing I took away from this more than anything else is I thought he was going to the Yankees. I did. It felt like all the momentum was growing for him to join that organization. And look, you read all these reports about the different meetings and all that, but I just felt like he was going to the Yankees after they made that move. For Juan Soto, I felt like, okay, he's going to the Yankees. Like, after Otani went to the Dodgers and after they then traded for Tyler Glass now, I felt like it was the Yankees. So that's the one thing I'm happy about in this whole situation is he goes to the Dodgers. But you look at that Dodgers team now, the offseason they've had has just been tremendous. You're looking at a lineup now with Mookie, Shohei Otani, Freddie Freeman, just absolutely loaded. You got Will Smith, of course, who is a really good player for them. And then you think about... The fact that you traded for Glass now, they've already given him an extension. That guy's an absolute stud. And then you get the best pitcher on the market. And eventually, Shohei Otani, of course, is coming off the TJ. He's eventually going to be in the rotation in 2025. But you get the best pitcher on the market. And I'm sort of jealous of where the Dodgers are at as an organization right now. Because I had given up on Yamamoto. And that's not where you want to be as a Red Sox fan. So at the same time that I was happy that he's not... A Yankee, that's sort of the state of the Red Sox organization right now. It's like you have to hope for third, fourth, or fifth best, right? You can't hope for the best. You got to hope for third, fourth, or fifth best. And unfortunately, this is not a neighborhood that the Red Sox used to live in. And this is where we are right now. It's just the sad reality of where this franchise is at this particular point in time. And this ownership group better be really careful because the Celtics are interesting. The Bruins are still interesting. And from a Patriots perspective... They stink, but they go, they are going to be interesting this offseason because if they have the number two pick, we all know there's going to be a quarterback. That team's going to be interesting. Apathy has already set in to some sense with this organization. Just look at the ballpark in August and September last year. So they better start taking this seriously because now the Red Sox are becoming an afterthought in town. And I hate it as a baseball fan. So it just stinks. And this Yamamoto thing was just sort of another reminder of the Red Sox weren't even close to getting Yamamoto. They better get somebody else, and I'll get into that in my wish list. But a lot more to get into. The first thing you'll hear is our Pats Broncos preview with Cody Rourke, who covers the Broncos for Mile High Sports. Welcome back into Off the Pike, getting you ready for the Pats and the Broncos coming up on Sunday. Joining us now, Christmas Eve night, prime time for everybody celebrating Christmas. Joining us now, it is Cody Rourke. He covers the Broncos for Mile High Sports and is the host of Locked on Broncos. Cody, thanks so much for taking some time, man. We really appreciate it. How are you? I'm good. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Appreciate you guys for having me on to preview, uh, you know, what is anticipated to be a snow game on Christmas Eve in primetime. I mean, that's what we are, you know, we're asking for, right? Christmas Eve, snow game, primetime. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Nice. All right. So at least we'll feel like Christmassy during the game. We'll have some <laughs> little weather. Now, I hope the weather doesn't help the Patriots because, Cody, Part of what we've been doing the past couple of weeks is do the Patriots actually have a chance to win because we want them to lose, right? We want one of the first two picks, either Caleb Williams or Drake May. So hopefully the snow doesn't help the Patriots. But I want to start with last week, Sean Payton, obviously screaming at Russell Wilson. And he said after the game that he was upset about a call. He then later on in the week said nothing more to share. It's certainly, you know, it's in-game intensity, heat of the moment, all those things, but nothing more to add. So this obviously became a national story, right? I'm sure yeah. it's a big local story as well. But what did you make of the whole exchange? Did it get overblown or do you think sort of the attention was warranted? 
Well, you know, I, I think it's a little overblown. I mean, I'll be very honest with you. This is this is the National Football League. This happens more often than people realize. And the thing I've been telling people about this is, look, obviously Sean Payton on camera was directing, you know, some frustration to Russell Wilson, was ripping him. Um, anyone that's played football has had to happen. I've, my coaches chewed my butt all the time. I mean, I can't even tell you some of the things they said to me at times. <laughs> As a coach myself, there's been times where I've chewed my players. It's Football is such an emotional game. And I think if you look at a football game, whether you're an observer, whether you're a fan, you see every wide range of emotion possible, happiness, sadness, disgust, anger, frustration, embarrassment, these common things that we all experience in our day-to-day lives. And the one thing I can say is because it was caught on camera, people freak out. But I can tell you this, Sean Payton, at least he's consistent. I've seen Sean Payton rip his coaches like this during the course of a game. So, uh, you know, to me, it definitely was made a little bit of a bigger deal than I think it was. I mean, talking to guys in the locker room, they're like, hey, like if cameras have been on me when I've gotten to a spot with my position coach or with another teammate in the heat of the moment, it's just football. And, uh, you know, it's emotional. And um, I, I don't read too much into it. I mean, these guys are competitors at the end of the day. And look, Sean Payton is one of the most fiery competitors I think I've ever been around when it comes to football and how he details every process going into something. So uh, it's just, you know, a moment of passion. And at that point in the game, you know, what had happened was there was just a lot that went wrong for Denver on that drive. And so I think there was a boiling over point, just frustration. You let it out. You're angry. Russell Wilson's the first guy next to you. And so, bang, you're either expressing something to him or you're yelling at him. But not a big deal, in my opinion. And both guys, like Russ is good with it. You know, he's coached. He wants to be coached hard. And he's really embraced that this year. Yeah, I've had one interaction with Sean Payton, and it was at the Super Bowl when the Patriots played the Falcons on Radio Row, and he was an awesome interview. I asked him about the onside kick, of course, famously, that he had when he was the coach of the Saints against the Colts in that Super Bowl. He's been very media-friendly in the past, and I got to imagine he's a fun guy to cover because he comes in, he has the Nathaniel Hackett comments, it's like, whoa, and then he has this stuff with Russell Wilson, but what's it been like? Like, What's his approval rating in Denver right now? Because obviously... He's one of the biggest personalities as a coach in the NFL. Yeah. Look, you know, Sean is a guy, he's ultra competitive and, and he's been very open, you know, through different sit down interviews. He's a little paranoid of the media in a sense, mm. because, you know, he had obviously there was the, the whistleblowers and stuff like that right. on what had happened with obviously, you know, Bounty Gate and whatnot. The thing that people, you know, tend to not realize, like the, the whole thing that was come up with Kareem Jackson being suspended, like, oh, yeah, Sean Payton carrying over Bounty Gate. Sean wasn't aware of Bounty Gate going on as it was happening. And if he was, he would no longer be able to coach in the NFL. Like, that's the thing that people don't realize. But because he's the head coach, because he's in charge of the team. Yeah, he got the worst punishment of all of that there um but you know for sean he, he's a competitive guy um you know as a former coach myself i look at how he details things and how he looks and goes about the process of there's a rhyme and a reason for everything that they do on the practice field and i have a lot of respect for that uh but i will be honest with you there are a lot of media members here in denver that look at sean payton and they're like eh He's kind of an asshole, but here's the thing. Like you have to be as a coach. Like yeah. I respect it. I, I have, I really like Sean Payton. I would, uh, Sean Payton's the type of guy that I would love to just ha- sit down and have a beer with and just talk scheme and write up plays on napkins. Like that's, that's how I am. So he's a little fiery with the media here in Denver. And you know, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes, you know, media here doesn't always ask the best questions. They ask some questions that are more like common <laughs> sense. And Sean Payton doesn't have a lot of patience for that, but I mean, I, I get it, but at the same time, you know, we have a job to do as members of the media, and, you know, as frustrating as it is for Sean to have to deal with us, 
he has to, you know, that's part of the gig. And, uh, you know, it's a little different. I, you know, we thought that maybe his experience in media for Fox last year would benefit, you know, us. Uh, but it's different when you're an analyst versus a beat reporter where you have to ask these questions about, you know, what was your interaction with Russell Wilson? Like, you know, it's our job to ask those things. And so as unfortunate as it may be to have to answer, we have to do that. I personally, I like Sean Payton. I love him. I would love to be able to just like, like I said, have a beer with him and talk football. Um, he's a great teacher. Guys in that locker room, they like him. And, you know, he's gotten, he's gotten a lot out of these guys after their one and five start. And I think it's a great sign of his leadership and where, he, where things are at with him. It's a great point on the Fox thing, because I thought he was awesome when he was doing that last oh, season. Yeah. It, but it's interesting. You said, oh, he's got a nicey relationship with the media. I can't think of another coach that has a nicey relationship with the media <laughs> that will be coaching in this game coming up on Sunday. All right. So Russell Wilson, let's get to him because He's been obviously a lot better this season than last season, which was expected. I mean, the completion percentage is up to 66.3 compared to 60.5. The passer rating is up to eighth in the NFL at 97.4 is 84.4 last season. And that's right in between, right ahead of Lamar and right below Jared Goff. Now, the one thing is not a lot of yards, right? 202 yards per game. The Broncos, as we speak right now before this Patriots game, they sit at 500. They're seven and seven. So where is Wilson at? Because like when they made the trade, you're thinking, all right, this is a franchise changing quarterback, if you will. Obviously, he's been a lot better than last year. But where is he at in his career? Is he just sort of, okay? he can be part of a good team, not carry a team. What do you make of where he's at right now? This is a fantastic question. And look, as much as look, Russ is a guy. This is a guy who's been not only physically over the course of his time here in Denver beaten down. He's been verbally, mentally, emotionally beaten down by headlines, by gossip, by a whole bunch of stuff. And and I can tell you this, Russ is one of the most genuine human beings I've met that I've had a chance to talk to about life, about football. I really enjoy Russell Wilson. But when we talk about where the Broncos are at, he's playing well. He's not the reason that they are losing games. However, there's nothing about the Broncos offense right now that looks sustainable with the way that they're going, right? Because ideally their identity in the five game win streak was, Hey, we're going to run the football. And during that time, Denver was running the ball for an average collectively as a team of over 140 yards a game. Well, they're coming into this game against the Patriots who are the number two, number one rush defense in the NFL, really limiting what opponents are able to do. And they, they forced them to kind of live with the arm there. Sean Payton came in and designed his offense in a sense. It's not really what we saw with Drew Brees, but it's kind of a modified version of that to, okay, this is what Russ does well. Let's put him in situations where he can do these things that he does well. When the run game is non-existent for the Broncos, it becomes a little bit of a problem because teams then focus on sending six or seven rushers after him, and they try to force him like, okay, hey, we know Russ is really good. If he rolls out to his right, we know that that's where he can hurt us on the run. So teams will send backside pressure, they'll send interior pressure, and they'll try to collapse really that, that circle in which, like if you look at a sprint out or you look at play action, they really make it to where Russ can't really set his feet and have time. We've seen when Russ has time and he can set his feet, and he can deliver strikes downfield. He's done it to Corlin Sutton, that one-handed catch against the Chargers that we saw there, had a lot of time there, but we saw against the Detroit Lions this past week. If they do that, and I, I expect the Patriots to do a similar game plan that we saw Aaron Glenn do. They're just going to send a lot of pressure. They're going to be confident, double covering Cortland Sutton and then playing man on the backside against everybody else. Denver has what we call a, a very limited game offensively, right, from the passing game. They can hit the layups, right? The, the Broncos throw constantly be, be, behind the sticks, and then they take the home run shot. 
they don't have a mid-range game if we're making a basketball analogy here. And that has made them one-dimensional. And if they can't run the football, they find themselves in trouble. And I think that's exactly what the Patriots are going to try to do here this weekend. And based on how their defense is playing, I could absolutely see that being a reality. Yeah, and it's a interesting point, too, on all those throws behind the line of scrimmage because the Patriots grade out, according to Pro Football Focus, not that it's the be-all, end-all, as I always say, but they grade out as the number two tackling team in the NFL. So they have been really good when it comes to that, not giving up a ton of yards after the catch, if you will. But you mentioned the run game. So Javante Williams, 3.7 yards per carry. They are, what, 14th in the NFL in rushing yards per game, 12th in success rate. The Patriots, though, they're number one in opponents rushing yards per game, as you alluded to, at 3.1. Now, Wilson can add to that a little bit. He's, what, eighth among quarterbacks in rushing yards, but it's just 4.2 yards per attempt. So on Sunday, after what you saw last week and what we know about this Patriots rush defense, do you think Denver is going to be able to run on this team? I think it's going to be very hard. They've struggled lately to run the football, and if they can't generate those chunk plays, like the thing with Javante Williams, I, I think for him in specific, the Broncos have played three games in a stretch of 13 days. They've been you know, a little fatigued, you know, a little banged up a little bit, but they're coming into this game healthy. For Javante, Javante's consistently seeing a stacked box when he's in the game because people know, like, hey, this guy, he runs through contact. We have to bring everybody after Javante Williams. And teams have done a really good job of that as of late. Um, Denver hasn't had a single 100-yard rusher this season. Javante wow. came close. I think his highest total was 85 yards. That was a little bit early on in the season. So Denver's really in the ground game. They've had to collectively rely on Javante, Russell Wilson, Samaje Pirine, and undrafted rookie for agent Jaleel McLaughlin. They've used those four guys to get the run game going in terms of getting yardage, but they haven't had production from one single guy this season, I think you can make an argument. Samaj P. Ryan has probably been a little bit more of the more valuable back this season. Now, I'm giving Javante Williams a little bit of leeway here. He's coming off last year a major, major knee injury that a lot of people question whether or not he'd be able to be ready for the start of the season. He was ready for training camp. So I think there's still a, a, you know an acclimation process as somebody who's torn their ACL and has had multiple knee ligament injuries here. Uh, I think Javante, it's going to take like a, a year or two for him to truly get back to where he was, but he can still be effective. But until Denver's offense proves to not be one-dimensional in the passing game, they're going to struggle, I think, running the football, and I think it will continue against the Patriots. I mean, that's, that's going to be the Patriots' bread and butter here this week defensively, and this could be a low-scoring game. We could see a 6-3 game on Christmas Eve that comes down to maybe a last-second field goal by somebody. I mean, that, that has the makings for this game here. Hey, Cody, we got a 6 to nothing game a couple of weeks ago, so 6-3. Six, 6-3 yeah, six three. Six three would be fireworks, <laughs> all right? So, I mean, that'd be something – all right, so last week, the Broncos also, they got run all over on the other side of the ball. 28 carries, a buck 85 for Detroit. 6.6 yards per attempt between Gibbs and Montgomery. They're dead last in the NFL in yards per attempt at 5.2. Now, the Miami game certainly skews some of that when a team puts up, what, 350 rushing yards. Oof. But obviously, on a per-play basis, not great either. 30th in success rate, 20th, 27th rather in rush EPA. Now, what I would introduce to you, Cody is the Patriots running game without Ramondre Stevenson. The last two weeks, they're 24th in rush EPA. They're 29th in success rate. Zeke has 33 carries in the last two games for 93 yards, 2.8 yards per carry. So the Patriots sort of inept running game without Ramondre or the Broncos rush defense, which seems to have been an issue all season long. What side are you taking in this one? Like if Ramondre was playing, I'd say the Patriots. But since Ramondre is not playing... I really don't have any faith the Patriots can run the ball, even if Denver has not been able to stop it. Yeah, you know, I 
Part of me is thinking Denver will have the advantage here. The thing with Denver's run defense, they've just been inconsistent. There's been games where they've come collect. They've done mm. their job. They they limit the rush. Then there's games where they give up over 192 on the ground to the Buffalo Bills and James Cook and Josh Allen. Um, and even the Minnesota Vikings, when they played, they gave up over 100 yards rushing in that game to a team who wasn't very good at running the football going into that matchup. Now, in this game, I, I would agree with you. If Ramondre Stevenson was playing, I'd say, hey, this is a guy that will absolutely hurt them. Because what really got Denver last week against Montgomery and Gibbs, those guys are explosive. The moment yeah. they got to the edge and cut inside, like the Broncos with Baron Brown and Jonathan Cooper, they were playing the edge contained. But then the offensive tackle or the tight end would kick the edge out and they'd run inside the tight end or inside the tackle and then get to the next level where linebackers simply weren't fast enough to fill the gap quick enough. Denver had 17 missed tackles in this past game. That contributed to it. I think this is a game where they kind of get back to basics, and I think they are going to try to sell out a little bit against the run because I believe that they they know that Patrick Sertan can match up against either Juju Smith-Schuster or Devontae Parker. Um, I think they have confidence in him man-to-man. Obviously, Fabian Moreau stepped up for them. Jaquan McMillan's been good inside the slot for them. And, you know, they got Justin Simmons and P.J. Locke on the back end here for Denver. So I think the emphasis is going to be stop the run, play man coverage. But, you know, you're going to see Bailey Zappi isn't afraid to take some shots downfield. And I think that's something that Denver has to account for, especially against Hunter Henry. The Broncos are also coming off a game where they allowed Sam Laporta to look like the second coming of Rob Gronkowski. Hunter Henry's a big guy. He's had some big games against the Broncos in the past when he was a Los Angeles Charger. So for me, this is a game where Denver just has to bring their A game. I don't know what happened against the Lions. Their first three possessions defensively were fantastic. And then I think it was the war of attrition. They did, they really just got worn down a little bit because the offense struggled. That's what you don't hope the Broncos get into is where the offense continues to struggle for them. The defense is on the field and they're having to carry the water. The Patriots know about that. They've been doing that all season. And you know, as watching that, it's tough to sustain that over the course of 18 games in the regular season. Yeah, and we'll see about Hunter Henry, too, because he got banged up in that game last week. I mean, they went, they, he had, I think he had like his season high in the first half in receptions yeah. last week. So they certainly target him. But yeah, you mentioned Zappy. So it's interesting. This Broncos pass defense overall. I mean, Jared Goff had a big game last week. They're 27th in passer rating against, 23rd in yards, completion percentage against 26. They don't get a lot of pressure, 25th in pressure rate, and what, they're tied for 20th in sacks at 36, and they're actually blitzing a decent amount, 7th in terms of blitz rate. So what's sort of been the issue? Is the bigger issue, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, Sertan is an unbelievable player. So I imagine the bigger issue is getting to the quarterback. The thing that scares me here is Cole Strange is now done, and the line has been inconsistent. They've been moving guys around. They've been dealing with injuries all season long. And when Zappi has a little bit, like when he has to extend the play, it gets dangerous. He's had really yeah. bad interceptions in each of the last two games. Like, I'm really worried from a Patriots perspective that Zappi's going to throw the ball to the Broncos. I know they're not a big team. What, 11 interceptions, I believe, on the season. So they're not a big team in terms of interceptions. But we've seen that Zappi will give the other team an opportunity. So, And the Patriots, as you mentioned, like they don't really have a lot of guys that you have to fear. So I really feel like the Patriots are going to struggle to move the ball at all. And... I worry about the passing game, and I worry about the protection of Zappi, even if this isn't a team that gets after the quarterback well. Yeah, and, and look, Denver, part of their big run, they were forcing turnovers at an alarming rate, you know, forcing fumbles, strip sacks, you know, getting a pick every once in a while. They haven't had as many picks as, you know, I think they'd want to, but, um, you know, I think that's a great point. That's where 
for Jared Goff, the thing that I think where the Detroit Lions had the most success and Goff, I mean, what, 280-something yards, five touchdowns. I mean, it was unbelievable efficiency for him. The moment Denver started getting gashed in the run game with Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery, it allowed – then that first, like, oh, Denver's going to have to overcompensate to try to stop the run because they're getting gashed for big yards and after every single play. And that allowed Jared Goff to stand back there with confidence. And granted, the, the Detroit Lions have one of the best lines in the NFL. Their line was finally healthy. They haven't had that in quite some time. They got Ragnell back. They got Taylor Decker back. Um, and then all of a sudden, you, not, you, you mentioned the point about the, the Patriots. I, you know, I've been told as well, Trent Brown's banged up a little bit, dealing with an injury. You mentioned Cole Strange. For me, Denver's going to have to find a way to, to ramp up pressure on Bailey Zappi. I mean, I think we are going to see that. To me, I'd be a little more worried about it if this was in Foxborough versus it being in Denver. I mean, the fans in Denver are going to be raucous on the evening. It's Christmas Eve. People are excited about it. The Broncos are playing meaningful football in the month of December for the first time in almost eight years. And I think that Denver's defense is going to be very, very energized for this game. And I think we will see Broncos maybe benefit from more pressure this week than they have in the last few weeks against the Patriots specifically. Yeah, the Denver, being in Denver, it's a great point. I mean, that place is a house of horrors for Tom Brady, and I get the teams are different, but we're talking about the greatest quarterback of all time struggled. It was Miami and Denver. Those are the two places that gave the Patriots trouble during their dynastic run. All right, so looking at this, FanDuel right now has the line at six and a half. So do you think Denver covers that? Do you think Denver or the Pats take the Pats with the points, but Denver wins? How are you feeling about this? You think it's a close game? I know you mentioned earlier, maybe six to three, but how are you feeling <laughs> I mean, this is an interesting one. I think maybe – I think the Pats would cover. I think the Pats would cover, but the Broncos will, will hang on to win this game. I mean, like I said, my confidence level right now in the Broncos' offense to have any kind of sustainability with how they've been playing. I mean, we've been saying it for a while. Like, Denver hasn't played their best football yet offensively. And if we're here at week 16, they still haven't done that. I don't know if they're going to do that with these three games remaining. Like, that's the big question here. That Patriots defense is tough. They've kept them in games all season. I mean, the amount of one-score games the Patriots have lost, they're much better than their record indicates. And if the offense was just a semblance better than it has been, some of those games might flip and New England might be in the conversation for a potential wild-card spot. But um, that's why football is so crazy. Now, I think I think Denver will win this game, but I think the Pats will cover. Gotcha, yeah. And, and like the Patriots defense has been good despite not having Judon and Christian Gonzalez. They're giving up 10 100%. points, 10 points, and 10 points. And they're like giving up less than 10 points in three straight games and they're losing all of them. Like that's almost <laughs> impossible to do because of the ineptitude of the offense. All right, Cody, before I let you go, so I was thinking back to like this is a great rivalry for really four to five years when Manning went there in 2012. It was obviously short lived because Manning retired after that 15 season. So that was a ton of fun, like because we went from hating the Colts to now hating the Broncos because that's where Peyton Manning went. And then we went back to hating the Colts because of the whole deflate gate thing with that organization, right? Like we went back to that. But in terms of just like, I'm thinking back to the rivalry between those two teams, who did Broncos fans dislike more, Tom or Bill? Ooh, I don't think it was either of them. I think it was Mm. more Josh McDaniels. I think they hated Josh McDaniels a lot more. (laughs) That was always it. You know, I think... Broncos fans, as much as, like, they haven't liked Tom Brady, just because Tom's, like, you know, it goes back – this even dates back to, like, the 2005 AFC Championship uh, – not AFC Championship game, the AFC Divisional round that right. those two teams had played. Jake Plummer, Champ Bailey having a long interception then gets blasted out of bounds by Ben Watson at the one-yard line. 
Um, I think it was just how often Brady would chirp at the refs, like if he was hit. <laughs> Fan, Broncos fans hated that, but I mean that's part of the game. And, and I think that when Manning came to Denver, and all of a sudden you now see Manning versus Brady. Like, that was always a rivalry, a great rivalry when it was the Colts and Patriots, but then it expanded into, okay, Peyton Manning's got a brand-new team. Peyton Manning's been written off because he had neck surgery. What does this Broncos team look like? Is the rivalry going to be the same? And to see these guys just deliver blow after blow to each other, have competitive games, uh, to be honest with you, Brian, I don't think that there's ever going to be another Manning-Brady-like matchup between two quarterbacks. Some people said it's going to be Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes. It very well could be, right? But I still don't think it'll ever beat the allure of Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady. And for a while, the Patriots always had the Colts number until the Colts obviously made it to the Super Bowl that one year and won their first championship. I remember they battled back in that game against New England uh, at home in Indy to be able to win that game. But for me, I think seeing you know Manning and them obviously in 2013 win the AFC Championship game against Brady and them, that was big. I think the final Manning versus Brady showdown, that was one of the most epic games I think we'll ever see in NFL history between two guys, two legends, two first ballot Hall of Famers. They just don't make it like that anymore. And I think at the end of the day, Broncos fans had so much respect for Tom Brady. Now, I'd say amplified when he went to Tampa Bay. They're like, wow, Tom Brady actually has a fun personality. It's like, well, Tom's always kind of had that. But he's just a fiery competitor because he's in the AFC and you're more likely going to have to go through him in order if you have, if you have Super Bowl ambitions. Fans are like, ah, we don't like Tom Brady. But, uh, that I mean, that's why I think we all tune in and why we watch. I mean, it was spectacular, obviously, between those guys. And I think it's something that everyone's going to remember for as long as – I'm waiting for the 30 for 30 documentary on the Brady versus Manning thing. Like, we need that at some point. Yeah, it was awesome, too. Like, they put up the number of games it was, like Brady, Manning, whatever it was, and Roman numerals whenever it was on Sunday Night Football. It was a ton of fun. You had to bring up the Colts game, too, that AFC title game. That's top three worst losses of the Patriots run. I mean, obviously, nothing will ever top the perfect season, but the other two nominees, I would throw that in there. And then, of course, the loss that they had to the Eagles when they didn't play Malcolm Butler and Brady threw for 500 yards. That's another one that would be in that conversation. But great point. I, I totally <laughs> like the McDaniels thing. You guys must be pissed that he got fired because he's such a bad coach. Like now the Raiders, maybe they get a good coach down the road. But yeah, McDaniels. Well, it's unfortunate. Even though that McDaniels was the Raiders coach, the Broncos still didn't beat him. And so uh. they hated him even more on that. And yeah, it's just uh, – <laughs> The NFL has been such a weird, weird situation. Like part of me has always wondered, is McDaniel's going to find his way back to New England at some point? I don't think he's going to be in line for a head coaching job anytime soon. So is he going to end up back in New England? Especially if, like I said, all the rumors about Bill potentially being on the way out, is that something that Robert Kraft wants to do? I mean, I think that would be a little risky, but you never know. Yeah. Well, it feels like here Gerard Mayo is the coach in waiting, so I don't know if yeah. we want McDaniels the to be his The true coach. Patriot way. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, that is Cody Rourke, covers the Broncos for Mile High Sports, host of Locked On Broncos. Cody, thank you so much for the time. Have a great holiday and enjoy the game on Sunday night. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you so much. Merry Christmas. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers Stay Hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 money line bet wins. All right, and I'm looking at a Saturday parlay this weekend. So how about this? For plus 215. T. Higgins to go for 50 receiving yards. We don't know about Jamar Chase. Of course, he was banged up in that game last weekend. And last weekend, Higgins goes for four receptions and 61 yards. Stephon Diggs with the Bills, of course, to go for 50 receiving yards against the Sorry Chargers. James Cook for 50 rushing yards in that same game after 179 last week and 50 the week before. So he's hit 
50 in at least back-to-back games here. And remember, of course, from a game control perspective, the Bills should be in control considering they're the far superior team to the Chargers. So he should get a lot of volume there. And then the Bills on the money line to beat the Chargers. So plus 215, Higgins 50 receiving yards, Diggs 50 receiving yards, James Cook 50 rushing yards, and the Bills to beat the sorry Chargers. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use and there's so many different ways to bet. There's live same game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. Dive into the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 plus in president select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, great stuff there from Cody Rourke. That was a lot of fun getting into the Pats and the Broncos, especially going down memory lane. Really a great rivalry for a couple of years. And Brady, you look at it, I mean, he really did struggle against the Broncos in his career. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But, I mean, that's a tough place to play. And those were really good teams when Peyton Manning and company, they won the Super Bowl in 15. Of course, we all know Manning was benched that year for Brock Osweiler. That defense was just awesome. That Broncos team was really well put together. But I do want to do a metric man breakdown here. So I did a ton of Celtics, of course, after that Kings game, but I have some leftover thoughts. So I figured let's make this a metric man breakdown situation of the Celtics right now. Okay, so let's start with this. Derek White. Derek White in December, nine games. He's averaging 20.8 points per game. He's shooting 52% from the field, 47.3% on threes. And here's the thing about the threes. 8.2 attempts. So he's not shooting 47.3% on like two attempts per game. He is bombing. He's taking 8.2 threes per game. 24 of 26 at the free throw line, 92.3%. So for the month, he's at 50, 40, 90. And it'd be very difficult for him to not finish at 50, 40, 90 for the month, the way that he's been playing right now. So he legitimately is a flamethrower. He legitimately has been one of the best shooters in the NBA this season. Like that's just reality at this point. Also during this month, five assists per game, 4.4 rebounds per game, 1.8 blocks per game, and 1.6 steals per game. If you look at this too, on the season, 40 players have taken at least six threes per game. Seven of those players, seven of the 40 have hit at least 42% of their three-point attempts. Tyrese Halliburton, Kobe White, Duncan Robinson, Jalen Brunson, Malik Beasley, James Harden, and Derek White. So we talked about this the other day too. The guy just keeps getting better in the three-point shooting and the volume is just ridiculous to see how well he's been playing. So that's the first part of the metric man breakdown. Everything tells you, like we always talk about sort of the the outlying numbers, the impact metrics with Derek White. Now just the flat-out stats are unbelievable. Now just the flat-out shooting numbers are off the charts. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's six foot four, also that is averaging 1.8 blocks per game in a month and 1.6 steals. Okay, the steals make more sense, but 1.8 blocks? I mean, that's what happens when you have what? What is it now? 10 blocks over his last three games? I mean, it's ridiculous. To average 1.8 blocks at the guard position for a month is crazy. I mean, that's like Dwayne Wade level stuff in terms of being able to block shots. He is like a legitimate rim protector. Okay, next up, I want to get to Jalen Brown. Last six games, 
for Jalen compared to the first 20 games for Jalen. 25.3 points per game in the last six, the first 20, 22 points per game. Field goal percentage, 53% over the last six compared to 46.2% in the first 20. Hmm, what's the difference here? Well, Jalen in the last six games, he's only shooting 30% on threes, but guess what? He's taken five attempts. In the first 20 games, he was taking 6.9 attempts, 34.1% from deep. So he's shooting better, but he was taking almost seven per game compared to five in the last six. Hmm, who said that he should take less threes? Who's been saying that all season long? I'm not patting myself on the back or anything along those lines. I'm just saying less threes, you're better. Because on twos, Jalen in the last six games is shooting 61.2% on 14.2 attempts. Well, in the first 20 games, Jalen was shooting 53.5% on twos on 11.5 attempts. So he is up almost three attempts from two-point territory per game. And what does that lead to? Oh, more points in the paint. Who was saying that Jalen needs to score more in the paint? I'm not saying that it was me. I'm just saying, like, people said that, hey, maybe we brought this up in the pod. Anyway, so in the last six games, he's at 13.7 points per game in the point in the paint, which is tied for 13. In the first 20 games, he was at 9.8 points per game in the paint, which was 34th. So he goes to 13.7 from 9.8. And then you look at the assists, 5.3 per game over the last six, 3.3 in the first 20. So he's up two assists per game over the last six games compared to the first 20. So the playmaking, give Jalen a ton of credit. Like that was something he struggled with throughout his career. And I'm not saying the last six games tells you he's going to be like, averaging that amount of assists like over five per game I'm just saying the playmaking has been much better he's made some much better decisions and he's made some passes that I don't think he had in his arsenal as recently as earlier this season we talked about the one in the Kings game the other night where he found Hauser in the corner it was an excellent pass but the biggest thing to me is Jalen is getting downhill and all the numbers indicate that so if you're Jalen Brown I would just say this and if you are a member of the coaching staff I don't know if it's Joe Missoula himself I don't know if it's Sam Cassell I don't know if it's Charles Lee, anybody in that coaching staff, just say, hey, Jalen, look at the five attempts from three. Now, you're not even shooting those well, but look at the two-point attempts. They're up. You're over 61%. Get downhill. Look at the points in the paint. When Jalen is attacking, he is at his best, and we have seen that over the last six games, so I hope he keeps that up. Okay, another small note, metric man related here, is Kata minutes. So the Celtics with Kata on the floor, this is a very small sample size. It is 105 minutes. You know what the offensive rating is with Kata on the court? 137.6. 137.6, like the best offense in the NBA is just under 120, 122 points per 100 possessions. They're at 137.6 with Kata on the floor, which is just an insane number. Obviously a tiny sample size. And shooting luck is certainly involved. 44.4% the Celtics are shooting on threes when Kata's on the floor. That's not because of Kata, right? So there's luck involved here. But I will say, say this. He does give you a lob option. And the second thing he does is he attacks the glass. If you look at his offensive rebounds per 36 minutes, he's at 6.9, which is just a crazy number. So he does bring energy. And they have been awful in his numbers defensively or in his minutes defensively. And as I said, it's small sample size, but 119.1 defensive rating. And... This one, I think, is kind of more real because he can only really play a drop coverage. You can't really switch anything with him. And he's just, he's not really there as a defender at this particular point in time. So I'm not saying I believe like Kata can be 
a legitimate contributor in the playoffs or anything. I just think like during the regular season, he's a good guy to have in terms of he can bring energy, he can crash the board. So I would actually like to see some more Cade minutes throughout the season. He's getting opportunities now that Luke Cornett is dealing with an injury, but I'd like to see more Cade because the guy gets after the offensive glass for sure. All right. On the bad side of things, okay, like not a great note with the Celtics right now. I think it's good in one sense, but it is bad in another. So, okay, let me just get to it first. With Tatum on the floor in December, the Celtics are plus 21. Okay, you say, well, well, that's not a big deal. What do you mean plus 21? That's good. Well, if you look at that number pre-December with Tatum on the floor, they were at plus 168. And look, obviously he played more games then. But if you look at the numbers with Tatum off the floor in December, remember Tatum on the floor in December plus 21. Tatum off the floor in December plus 54. This is unheard of in the Tatum era. The team has actually been better over the course of this month with Tatum off the court than on the court. This never happens with the Celtics. How many times have you heard us talk about on the pod, hey, what about the non-Tatum minutes, right? And Look, certainly last night contributes to that, or I should say Wednesday night contributes to that, the game against the Kings. But if you look at pre-December, with Tatum off the floor, the Celtics were just a plus four compared to a plus 168 with them on the court, right? And then if you look at the Celtics' offensive rating with Tatum off the court in December, and the Kings game certainly plays into this, 132. A 132 offensive rating with Tatum off the court. At times, they couldn't score in the pass with Tatum off the court. And they're still really good with Tatum on the court in December in terms of the offense, 118 point or a 118 offensive rating, which is still like an unreal number, but 132 without him. So it's just crazy to see this, that Tatum is not grading out well in the impact metrics because he always has. He has been like the impact metrics king, right? And if you look at it, the pace in December with Tatum on the court, 99.2 possessions that would rank 18th. With Tatum off the court, it's at 100.3. And you say, that doesn't sound like a big difference, but it would move you up to 13th. So you go five spots higher in terms of the pace rankings with Tatum off the court compared to on the court. So they play faster. And I'd like the Celtics to play faster in general. You've heard me talk about that before. But they play definitely slower with Tatum. And the other thing is, if you look at Tatum this season, he has the second most isolation possessions in the NBA, 134. Only Luka Doncic has more. And he's very good. 143 points in 134 possessions, that's 0.7 points per possession. Or I should say 143 points. I don't know why I said 143 points. 143 points in 134 possessions. So he's really good. He's in the 73rd percentile as an isolation scorer, where in the past he hasn't been great in isolation. He's good in isolation now. The next closest Celtic in isolation possessions is 59 compared to Tatum, who we mentioned is at 134. Jalen's at 59 and Tatum's at 134. And then if you look at Jalen, he has not been good in isolation. 33rd percentile, just 0.81 points per possession, and 37.5% from the field compared to Tatum, 0.81, or excuse me, Tatum at 1.07 points per possession, Jalen at 0.81. So you don't want Jalen playing in a lot of isolation situations. Tatum has been good there. Then if you look at Tatum's post numbers, 66 possessions, the 16th most in the NBA. This is something we wanted to see. 79 points, so that's what, 1.20 points per possession, that's in the 84th percentile, and he's shooting 57.1% on post-ups. So he's really efficient in ISOs, and he's really efficient in post-ups. And this, to me, is something that you're going to need in the postseason, right? Mismatch hunting. So 
I think sometimes when he's at the top of the key, he can certainly move the ball quicker. And like at the end of the game against the Warriors that we talked about, I'd like a timeout, but I thought that was a bad shot by Tatum. But anyway, if he's going to attack, great things happen. And sometimes he will sort of just hold on to the ball a little bit too long and he doesn't go into his ISO game. When he goes into his ISO game or he gets into the post, everything's good. But it's when he sort of takes his time and doesn't go into that stuff, you're taking five, six, seven seconds off the shot clock and then you're passing it, right? So either get into your ISO game, get into your post game, or get rid of the ball. That's where I think Tatum has the issue is when he just holds on to the ball and then he ends up doing nothing. But I think it's good that his ISO numbers are way up, obviously, and he's being efficient. I also think that in the playoffs, you're going to need some of this, right? It's kind of like I've talked about in the past. The mid-ranger we know is considered to be a super inefficient shot, and you don't want to take a ton of them during the regular season. Those long twos are inefficient, right? But in the playoffs, sometimes you need to hit tough twos. And this is where I'm talking about variety in the playoffs with Tatum is you're going to need his ISO game in the playoffs because teams are going to be on what you like to do schematically offensively. And you're going to need his post-up game in the postseason as well. So I do think these numbers are interesting, the on-off stuff with Tatum in December. But this is the conclusion I draw from this. I tend to be more encouraged with the numbers with Tatum off the court than discouraged with the numbers with Tatum on the court, right? Because... What I say is, okay, well, this stuff that Tatum's improved on, the ISO game, the post-up game, it's only going to help you when you get into playoff series. And secondarily, now that they're playing really well when Tatum's off the court, they found how to play without Tatum because they haven't been able to do this really since Tatum was drafted by the Celtics in 2017. Oh, Tatum can rest and the team is actually going to be good. So I feel like this is a good sign, not a bad sign, even though at times I think Tatum plays a little bit too methodically and a a little bit too slow, I do think in the long run, it's actually going to benefit the Celtics and them playing well without Tatum clearly is going to benefit the organization. So that's where I'm at in terms of a little metric man breakdown. I feel okay about the Tatum stuff that the numbers have been way better with him off the court than on the court. I'm encouraged. I'm not discouraged. All right. A lot more coming up, including next I'll get to my Christmas wishes. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. It is time now for my Christmas wish list. Boston sports related, of course. Number one is a healthy Kristaps Porzingis because we've had a scare with this calf thing where he hasn't been playing in back-to-backs. He missed a couple of games. And then we got the scare against the Kings on Wednesday night with the ankle injury. We're all thinking, oh no, please don't be hurt. Please don't be hurt. Please don't be hurt. And I'm fine with them being careful with him in terms of the back-to-backs. I just want him for the playoffs, right? Because he's everything this team is missing. He's the weapon that is so unique. And he's what this team needed with all these great perimeter players, right? They needed one more pitch, right? It's like, I've talked about this with Chris Sale, where, hey, his fastball in 2021, it wasn't all the way back velocity-wise, 
but it played. It was still a good pitch for him. The slider was unbelievable for Chris Sale in 2021. But what he didn't have in 2021 was his changeup, right? The first year he came back from the injury. Righties hit 291 against him, and they had an 824 OPS. That's because he didn't have a changeup, and we saw it in that game where he got killed by the Rays in the postseason. As the Rays like to do, they just loaded up the lineup with righties, right? But still, in nine starts that season in the regular season, with two pitches, Sale was still really good, a 369 ERA. You'll certainly take that from a guy coming back from Tommy John. Now, this is not an apples-to-apples comparison, but the point is, Chris Sale could be really good without his changeup, but clearly there was a ceiling to it. If he was going to get back, and he still hasn't got, we've seen signs, but he still hasn't gotten all the way back, for Sale to be the elite pitcher again, he needs that third pitch. He needs that changeup because of dealing with right-handed hitters. The Celtics have proven they can get to the finals without Porzingis. They can get to the conference finals without Porzingis, but his presence is what puts this team over the top, right? And part of that changeup is the post game. If you look at his numbers in the post, 19 of 28, 67.9%. I mean, we saw what he did in that Kings game. If you look at the Celtics numbers, when Porzingis is on the court, they shoot 71.4% at the rim, which is in the 91st percentile via cleaning the glass. And the on-off differential is plus 4.7. That's in the 86th percentile. So the Celtics shoot 4.7 percentage points better at the rim with Porzingis on the court. So basically, you would go from third in the NBA in your percentage at the rim to 11th, right? So you're good without Porzingis on the court at the rim, but you're elite when he's on the court, right? So that's the number one thing on my list is can you just get a healthy Kristaps Porzingis? Look, and knock on wood that all the rest of the guys stay healthy, but the guy like with the most checkered injury past, as we all know, is Porzingis. Like Tatum, I know he dealt with the ankle thing, but he's been durable. Jalen's been durable. Derek White has been durable, unless like he's having a child born, which that's the only time he misses games. Drew's been reliable too throughout his career. So that's my number one. A healthy Kristaps Porzingis for the postseason, because I just want to see them with this new weapon in the postseason. All right, number two is can the Red Sox at least act like the Red Sox again? And I'm realistic here. It doesn't appear that they're getting Yamamoto, but can you come away with at least a starter, right? I believe you need two guys. We've been over this. But if you don't land Yamamoto, can you just get Jordan Montgomery? And then can you just add the right-handed power bat you need in Teoscar Hernandez? You need somebody that can hit from the power or hit four power from the right side. So a starter and a power hitter. You're still a flawed team defensively. And you're going to have question marks. But at least showing the fan base, hey, we got you a guy that can hit 30 bombs. We got you a starter that can be in the top 10 in innings pitch this year. Like, my wish, and part of my wish is like acting like the Red Sox. I just want to see relevant baseball in August and September. I love October, but that, of course, is a pipe dream with this team right now. But can we at least have interesting baseball down the stretch, right? And last year, you didn't have enough starters. And I get there were injuries, but the Red Sox, the Red Sox should never be low on starters, right? You give me Montgomery, and then you have Bayo in there. You have Pavetta in there. And I believe he's going to go back to the rotation, obviously. You have Sale. I mean, we we don't know what you're going to get there. And maybe you throw Cutter Crawford in there. Now, if you pick up another pitcher, you can put that guy in the rotation. We don't know exactly what the plan is for Winkowski or Hoke. We heard maybe they make Winkowski a starter. But just get a guy you can put at the top of the rotation. And then the lineup, if you have Duran, Rafi, Casas, Story, Tay, Oscar, I like those top five hitters. And then odds are Yoshida's still around. I like Abreu, who's a guy that looked good in his limited action last year. So I just say, just give me a serious team. I'm not even asking for a playoff team. That's what most Red Sox fans would want. 
I just want relevant baseball. I want to be able to watch the Red Sox in August and September and it to matter. Is that too much to ask? I'm asking for two things. Give me Teoscar Hernandez and give me a starting pitcher. That's it. That's all I ask for, please. Okay, number three on my Christmas wish list. I want a Bruins-Panthers rematch in the postseason. And of course, the Bruins have lost the last two games in overtime. But the Panthers, they took history away, right? The Bruins were the best team in NHL history in terms of points and in terms of wins. I still believe the Bruins make it to the Stanley Cup if they beat the Florida Panthers last year. Now, because if you look at it, Florida, of course, they hammered Toronto and then they beat Carolina before losing to Vegas. And I think this Bruins team would have made it to the Stanley Cup. Now, I think it would have been an awesome story, them going up against their former coach, right, in Bruce Cassidy. That would have been incredibly entertaining. But you're up 3-1 and you blow that lead. Kachuk, we know, irritated everyone in sort of a similar way to Curry. I mean, Kachuk with his physicality too, but the mouth guard thing with both those guys. I hate how they chew their mouth guard. But anyway, I feel like this is the type of matchup that would get this team going in the postseason. And Jim Montgomery can kind of exercise his demons because we know he was bad in that series. Took him forever to put Swayman in after Olmark, we found out, was dealing with an injury. And when the, by the time Swayman comes in, it's too late. It's game seven. You got to give him more of a rhythm there. And then remember, he took Grizzlick out of the lineup inexplicably for two games and put Clifton in. And Clifton was bad. It just really didn't make sense. He sort of overthought it. So I would like to see a rematch. I think that would be fun and let this team exercise its demons, so to speak. Okay. Number four on my Christmas wish list. I want the draft discourse to start and make the Patriots look like they're in an even better spot than they are now, right? Now, first of all, we need the Patriots to lose out so they can lock up that number two spot. So it would be shocking at this point if Caleb Williams is not the number one pick. And we've seen this a bunch where, okay, everyone knew that Trevor Lawrence was going to be number one. Everyone knew that Andrew Luck was going to be number one. Everyone knew in 2019, by the time that season played out at LSU, like by the time we were in draft season, everyone knew Burrow was going to be the number one pick. Obviously not before the season, but once the season went by, it was like, yeah, how do you not take this guy at number one, right? So we've had that throughout NFL history. But if you go back to say, like 2015, now I don't want to make this a Drake Drake May situation where you, either one of these guys you'd take and, but let me put it this way. If you go back to 2015, neither one of them worked out, right? Jameis didn't work out and Marcus Mariota didn't work out in the long run, right? But in that particular situation, it became a debate, right? Because Mariota won the Heisman. Mariota beat Jameis in the college football playoff. Jameis famously threw a ball backwards in that game. And remember, there was like, hey, could Chip Kelly move all the way up to two to go get him, to get his former quarterback, right? So that became a talking point. Now, eventually, by the end, it was like, okay, Jameis is going number one. But there was a legit debate that started between Jameis and Mariota, where it looked like prior to the season, everyone said, hey, if Jameis came out after he won the national championship, he would have been the number one pick in the draft, right? But then it actually became a legit debate for a couple of months. I think we're going to get something similar to that with Caleb Williams and Drake May, where we know that some stuff has gone on with Caleb Williams in terms of he had that list of teams he wanted to go to. It was not a great season. They go seven and five at USC. And look, Drake May's team finished poorly too, where they lost two straight. They finished eight and four. Numbers were down a little bit, but the critic but there was more criticism, of course, to Caleb Williams because of the profile and playing at USC. But you look, May's the bigger guy, 6'5, 220 compared to Williams, who is 6'1. Big dude in terms of the weight, too, around 220, but May has the four inches on him. And May is also a really good athlete and he can be dynamic as well. So I think what we're going to hear 
is not just like hot take artists, but football people are going to say, hey, he kind of reminds me of Justin Herbert. He's kind of like the prototype quarterback with enough athleticism, right? So I certainly think that this debate could point like people start to come in favor of Drake May over Caleb Williams. And if the Patriots are at number two, we're going to love this as Patriots fans, right? And I would also like point to the fact we've seen guys come from like big, huge programs, Tua, Hertz, Stroud, Lawrence, Burrow, and they've had success right away in the NFL, right? Or not right away in the case of Tua and Jalen Hurts. But you get my point, like guys from big stacked programs have had success, or have had success. But you think about like Mahomes at Texas Tech, Goff at Cal, and it took a while for Goff, Dak at Mississippi State, Allen at Wyoming, Rogers at Cal, Herbert at Oregon. We've seen these guys that have faced more adversity at the collegiate level have success too. So I think that can certainly come into play when we're talking about the Patriots and entering draft season. Like what I want to see my wish is that there's a lot of momentum towards, hey, Drake May is actually better than Caleb Williams and the Patriots are sitting there with the number two pick because I quite frankly cannot wait to see the draft situation play out. Now just make sure that you don't screw this thing up. All right, before we go any further, let's bring in producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. All right, Jamie, so that's my wish list, my four things I'd like to see Boston sports related. Anything to critique or anything to add? You got any wishes you'd like to throw out here? I think the, the one thing I was thinking when you were giving out your picks, Brian, is I think you, you got to expect better of yourself. You got to want more. You said, is it too much to ask for the Red Sox to have a competitive team? That's too little to ask, Brian. This is the Boston Red Sox. What's Where, where are the days of the $250 million budgets and stuff like that? I want... A World Series contender. One pitcher, I want to I do two, too, but I don't see it happening. Do you? Well, then sell the team. Seriously, that's yeah. on my wish list. If you're not going to spend the money, sell them. Yeah, I think, I mean, you look back, I mean, they were great owners for a long time, but over the past couple of years, you can't really say they've been a good ownership group. Bottom line, it's been bad. You know what I read about in the Boston Globe the other day? That the Red Sox now own the TV broadcasting company that broadcasts the Pittsburgh Pirates games now. So now they own Nesson and the Pirates. Does that seem like a team that's all in on the Boston Red Sox? Oh, I remember they own the, yeah, they, they literally own the Penguins. It's crazy. At least the Penguins play hockey and baseball. Now they have two baseball teams' TV rights. It's like, this yeah. doesn't make any it, sense. It, it, and look, I think the criticism is the Red Sox are now just part of the portfolio. When yeah. they took this job, like the Red Sox were their motivation. They wanted to win. Totally. They wanted to break the curse. And we're forever grateful for that. But yeah, they're they're not all in on the team right now. There's no way around it. Even if you say, oh, they they... Pay the tax for a last place team. Yeah, I, I understand all that. But at this point in time, it's like the team should be more involved when I see like, oh, the Giants, like the Giants are close to totally. like, why aren't the Red why aren't the Red Sox, you know, like that type of shit pisses me off. But I don't know, I'm just being reasonable with my wishes, Jamie. <laughs> like, you That's know, when fair. I was good. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I couldn't ask for a basketball court. I could ask for a basketball <laughs> I could ask my parents for a basketball hoop, right? I can't ask for a court. Like, you gotta be realistic. I mean, that's how I was with my real family, but my sports family, I got spoiled. I got spoiled with the Red Sox, and so now that's what I expect. But um, that's maybe healthy on your point. Um, I got a few. You covered the big ones, Brian, so I just got some some stocking stuffers, all right? All right, let's, I like so, that, stocking stuffers. <laughs> my first one is for the Patriots to finally retire these lame jerseys they're wearing and go back to either the Patriot ones or the 90s ones or even the ones that Brady wore. And I just feel like, this season might leave such a bad taste in Kraft's mouth that I think it's time to move on. I think Burn they haven't em. had any success with them on the field, really, and no one likes them. So let's let's just cut our losses, right? For sure. Burn those things, man. 
It would not hurt me at all if we never see him no. again. You never or anyone else. And I think you have to do this like a couple years in advance when you want to make a uniform change. I'm mm. not sure on that. I'm just saying, but I'm with you, man. Get rid of those things. I've talked about it multiple times. I mean, the path to Patriot is awesome. And I do feel like the 90s stuff is They're coming fun. back. Like, Remember when we thought like some of the 90s uniforms, not just in the NFL, but in the NBA were awful. And now they're like, oh, actually, those things are sick. Yeah. It's all cyclical. It's definitely coming back. I'd like to see. It's just I like I like bright colors. And those are more bright, poppy, you know, royal blue, deep red kind of thing. So I like those. Yeah. Either well, one the of them. D- the Pat Patriot one, too. Yeah. Well, the double breasted suit is coming back, too. You notice that? <laughs> I see that. I, I got the a jacket. Couple, I got a doing? wedding in January. Don't tell anyone, but I'll be wearing double breasted. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've, I've, I can't rock. I, I haven't rocked that Don't yet. Don't say I, that, Brian. You can do I it. got some nice new jackets, a nice new color. I got like a nice okay. maroon one that I got. But yeah, I, I can't do the double-breasted. I think you can. Um, a couple more, Brian. This is a, I don't know, this is a smaller nitpick. But I want like, another Patriots one. I want to go back to a natural gas field for the Patriots. I just think it's more fun. I know they have to for the World Cup in a couple years. They have to all play on grass for soccer reasons. I say get started a bit early. I like seeing the grass stains on the jerseys. I like it's kind of muddy or like frosty in the winter. So that's a small one, maybe a personal one, but I want to see that. Yeah, I mean, the players would like that too. They like because it too. They, Yeah, they always talk about the surface thing. I know it's more difficult for the teams to like keep that up and maybe it's like rock hard in a potential playoff game down the road when it's like three degrees right. out, but I'm with you. I like I like the regular uh, the, uh, grass too. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Well, we'll see if if, if uh, Kraft has that in the budget. I know t- times are tough for the Crafts, right? But, yeah, especially uh, <laughs> if you're paying Bill after he's that's gone. True. And my final stocking stuff for Brian, this is from a fan's point of view. I want to see a return of the full condiment station at Fenway Park. It's never been the same since COVID. Now you have... Wait, one... what do you mean? Okay, so I don't even nowadays, know you, get, you get a Fenway Frank, you get an Italian sausage, you go to the station to dress up your dog. Now they have one machine for the ketchup and one yellow mustard. And I think last time I was there, they had this sad little bowl of like relish packets that they just like throw in your takeaway bag at a fast food joint. And that's it. In the old days, brown mustard dispenser. I want a spicy mustard dispenser. I want the onion crank wheel. Oh, okay. All that stuff. They got rid of it as like a COVID hygiene perspective, but they never came back. And I want them back. I I miss them. Yeah, I, I'm not a hot dog guy, so I wouldn't know this, but okay, I didn't know all that, so they took all those away. All right, I mean, that they seems like an back. easy fix, right? I mean, COVID's far away at this particular point in time. So, totally. I, yeah, why, I mean, if for the people that like the hot dogs and the sausages, I, I would encourage, get the, get the, get those things back. Come on, come on, pick it up. <laughs> Let's go. I didn't even know this is a thing. Oh, I don't know if anyone else is, but I'm raising the, I'm raising the alarm. People are going to listen to this pod and be like, Jamie's, Jamie's completely <laughs> right. What are the Red Sox doing? This is bullshit. John Henry can't pay for the onions and the relish. Like, what is going on? All right. It's that's a good one. 100%, 100% approval rating, I think. That's a good one, man. That is outside of the box. <laughs> I mean, that's a great one. All right. So that, I like that one. Jamie, before we get to our fan duel, our picks for this weekend, I just wanted to mention this real briefly because I find it more funny than anything else. Because remember, like on the pod last week, we were talking about Harrison Butker missed a field goal, which he never misses. And mm-hmm. Chad Ryland missed like awfully like it wasn't even close so mark daniels originally reported this patriot special team units went to the officials at halftime against the chiefs because they felt like the balls were underinflated. Oh, right so they were supposed to be between 12.5 to 13.5 pounds per square inch 
they were only weighing at 11 PSI. I thought I'd never talk about PSI again after Deflategate. <laughs> so Butker was 23 of 23 before he missed that. So maybe we should cut Ryland some slack. And look, not that he's had a good season, but maybe we should cut Ryland some slack about like the bad miss that he had. Maybe there was something to that with the footballs <laughs> if they actually were under inflated, which I think it is kind of funny that it happened to the Patriots. I never thought I'd be talking about footballs and inflation again, but it is kind of funny. Well, don't don't we know the 12.5 to the 13.5 that is seared into my brain from those reports. But um, I guess I guess like when you're passing the ball, each team has their own footballs, but the kicking balls are the same for both teams. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess they passed the test before the game. So who knows? I don't want to get into the natural gas law. Oh, my gosh. The, that report was the dumbest thing I've ever read. I can't even go back there. I mean, the amount of time I spent, like, you know, completely manic about those reports. That was an interesting time in our lives. As I've said to James White on the pod, they would have beaten the Colts with fucking beach balls. Like, it didn't (laughs) matter. They just ran it down your throat, man. And And that was because Harbaugh was sour because, remember, the Patriots are doing those formations that looked to be illegal, but they weren't. Like, remember that? Of course. So, yeah, they got it from Alabama. So he was mad. He told the Colts about that. The Colts rat on the Patriots. Some dumbass stuff. But anyway, all right. Enough about PSIs and natural gas law. Let's get to our (laughs) picks from FanDuel. So we'll start with the Patriots game. And as Cody was mentioning earlier, obviously, Denver is a tough place to play. Brady was five and four in Denver and one and three in the postseason. The one win was that Tebow game. Remember the Pats just beat Tebow had this like heroic game against the Steelers. It was like the one pass (laughs) he completed for the touchdown. And then the Patriots just crushed him, crushed Denver. But they did lose three times. The Plummer game he mentioned, that was the one that sort of ended the first dynasty in 05. That was Brady's first playoff loss. And then they lost twice to Manning there. One was when Brady was down to no receivers. Like actually, Matthew Slater was playing receiver in 13 in that game. In 15, Brady got annihilated in that game. He did have Gronk open for that two-point conversion. Also, Gostowski missed a PAT. That's why they were in that situation. But that was just like, Brady was awesome in a game they lost where he just got absolutely crushed in that game and Manning barely had to do anything. He threw like two touchdown passes to the tight end. That was pretty much it. But anyway, it's a tough place to play. So, and I get it. Denver is not a great team this year. It's not like the Denver teams that they played in the past, but the Patriots also suck and Denver is a lot better than the Patriots. So I actually like the Broncos to cover the six and a half. And I know Cody brought up the snow thing. I still think the Patriots are going to have to throw the ball a lot because I don't think they're going to have success running the football, even if Denver is not good against the run, because They're just going to stack the box with the limitations the Patriots have throwing the football. So I'm actually going to take Zappi over 185 and a half passing yards as well. That's plus 263 if you parlay them together. And this isn't a pro Zappi thing. I just referenced those numbers. I mean, we talked about the defense, of course, earlier, but they don't put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks. And I just think if you look at Zappi, 180 yards last week, and they took the ball out of his hands in the second half, he did have 240 against Pittsburgh. So this is a team that likes to blitz, as we mentioned earlier. So if Zappi just catches them for one big play, like you Mm -hmm. get a couple of big receptions and then Zappi does what he normally does, like the screen game and all that, I think he can get to that. So that's a little parlay, six and a half for the Broncos to cover. And then Zappi over 185 and a half yards, that's plus 263. Yeah, I like that, actually. I I, I also took the... Broncos plus six or minus six and a half. I mean, Cody scared me a little bit where this might be like a rock fight, especially in the snow. But that was what I thought initially. Um, I saw I think they've given up the second most amount of yards, the Broncos. So, yeah, I like the over for that. You know, another over I like, Brian, Zappy 
over six and a half rushing yards. I like that oh. they even give this out. <laughs> yeah, a little scramble. He's there. So last week, he only had two yards, didn't hit. But the two previous weeks, he had 13 and 16 yards on three and four carries. So he can move around. He needs one first down. Boom. You win your bet. I think that, that's a juicy little one. Yeah, especially if he sees the blitz coming from one side, he just darts right. out to the right. You yeah. know what I mean? If he, if he picks it up on the blind side, he's like, all right, I'm going to run this way. Yeah, I like that. I like that for a scramble. Okay. So here is my parlay for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Bills to beat the Chargers. Green Bay to beat Carolina. That's okay. in Carolina. I know the, the Panthers are hot right now. They're coming off a win. <laughs> now, here's the interesting part of my parlay. I like the Browns at the Texans, okay? And the Browns are actually two and a half point dogs. But yeah. what I did here is I took an alternate line of the Browns as two and a half point favorites because CJ Stroud, it doesn't look like he's going to play. So if you want to get this in, get this in now because this line is going to change by the time we get closer to the weekend with CJ Stroud not mm. playing in the game. And all signs right now point to it. Now, if he ends up playing, I'm going to look like an idiot for this pick. But even so, I mean, the Browns could easily still win this game with Flacco, who's playing well in that defense. So I have the Browns to cover two and a half at the Texans, the Chiefs to beat the Raiders. They're hosting them. The Eagles, who are hosting the Giants on Christmas Day, and the Niners, who are hosting the Ravens on Christmas Day, which is like being propped up as this like Super Bowl preview, if you will. But that's plus 492 because of the Browns game. And this is a parlay if you want to put this in or if you want to get anything on the Browns, I would do it now. So you have, that's five legs? That's six legs? That is, let me see. Bills at Chargers, one. Green Bay at Carolina, two. Browns at Texans, three. Eagles at Giants, four. Niners at Ravens, five. And those are money lines apart from the one that you switched for the yes. Browns. All money lines except the Browns one. I just, I think that, that Monday night one just scares me in general. I, I just feel like if you're going to pick between these two great teams, I want those odds juiced up a bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but we got plus 492. to Oh, so you're saying just maybe just take out the San Francisco game. I I mean, I, if it's not going to affect the line, like if it added plus 300, fine. But if it's minimal, I don't know. I mean, that's a scary game. I saw just locker room stuff, but the Ravens are all pissed off about being underdogs. So I, w- I would just hate for you to hit all your legs until that one, and then the Ravens upset it. Okay, well, let's try that without the... Ravens in there because you know you know what we have is the handy FanDuel app at, at our disposal right now. So if I take in if I take out that line and let me throw in the the Browns, I said minus two and a half, so to win by a field goal, it, it's actually going to be plus two fifty eight. Oh my so God. it is a significant drop off. Significant. So I think I'm going to st- I think I'm going to stick with the Niners in there. Fair enough. I like the Niners, man. I like their offense. I love their They're offense. Obviously, the defense is good enough as well. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go with the plus 492. Okay. Fair enough, Brian. Um, I had one similar to you. I at least included some of the same legs. But um, I like Bills over Chargers with the points. Minus 12 and a half. But we also had happened against the Raiders last week. And we've talked about when a coach gets fired, sometimes it boosts the team. Sometimes it doesn't. I just feel like they're they're dead in the water, the Chargers. It's over for them this season. And the opposite, I would say, is true for the Bills, where I thought everyone kind of wrote them off early, but they're back. And I thought they never really left. So I like them a lot. And I'm I'm parlaying that with uh, Josh Allen rushing touchdown, which is plus 218 total of uh, the spread plus the Allen touchdown. And um, Brian, you know how many rushing touchdowns Josh Allen has this season? 
Uh, six? Eleven. Holy shit. Really? I know. Crazy. He has like Damn. four in the past three weeks. So he's he's obviously getting in the end zone a lot. So that seems like a decent bet right there. I like that. Yeah. And especially to the Chargers without Justin Herbert. Like they, they can't move the they can't move the ball offensively. And we already know their defense stinks. Yeah. So yeah, they, they have no chance against this Bills team. I mean, especially considering the fact that they don't have a lot to play for right now. And the Bill the Bills still need like help to get in. Like yeah. they they need to win out and they need some help they, around them because that that's a team, obviously. Like I don't, I hate that I'm going to say this, but the cliche. Nobody wants to see them in the postseason, but it's actually true. Like we Not just right. saw what they did to a really good Dallas team. It's true, they're scary. I mean, I always am terrified of Josh Allen playing the Patriots, so I get it. And I also think one other point is just uh, as a guy who's been to SoFi, I've been to a Bills game against the Rams when it was like the first game of the year. Rams were unveiling their banner, and still it was like seventy percent Bills fans. That coupled with the fact that the Chargers have no fans, um, this might be like. A full Bills crowd, honestly. I feel you on that, yeah. Well, it's definitely not going to be a full Chargers crowd no. because they have no fans whatsoever. All right, so before we go, the Suckathon Panthers, we told you at, that was in my parlay. They're at home for the Packers. Okay, the Packers lost like last week. I, I don't give the Panthers much of a chance in that one. Cardinals are at the Bears. The Bears are kind of That's... frisky right now, mm. so I don't really feel good about the Cardinals in that one. Commanders are at the Jets. We obviously want the Commanders <laughs> to win. That is a possibility. Uh, they benched Howell last week. They said it was to protect him, but it was really because he stunk. Like, he wasn't good in that game. So that's actually one that I'm kind of scared that the Jets are going to win. Like, I'm kind of scared. that Like, I'd like the Commanders to win, and just we don't have to worry about yeah. them in terms of coming into the pick territory. But I am kind of worried about that one. Well, there's two, two of the four teams. I mean, four of the teams right there playing each other. So... I mean, yeah, the Commanders, they've had a worrisome skit where they've lost like four or five in a row. So, yeah, they're, they're right neck and neck. But I think we talked about it. I think we have the the tiebreaker over them, i.e. since we lost to them, right? Even if we have the same record. Yeah. I would just like to see them pick up a win. That would be nice. Come on, guys. Go beat the Jets. Let's go. I mean, the what's it called? Arizona's the one that really scares me. We need them to pick up at least one more this year. Yeah. No, that's for sure. And I don't think they're going to. No, maybe not. I don't. Like, this is the week they would have to do it. I just don't see it happening. All right, Jamie, great stuff, man. Have a good holiday. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Brian. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172. So just to give you an update, we will be back on Tuesday, the day after Christmas. We'll have a lot to recap. We'll have the Patriots-Broncos game. Michael Pina is going to join us, so we'll recap the Lakers-Celtics games. We can also have some carryover thoughts from the Clippers. Pina's like the biggest Kawhi Leonard fan in the world, so we'll recap that with Pina on Tuesday. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Zerudy for producing this podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week and have a great holiday. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 
1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.